people to, to stand up and, and talk and to just welcome others to Green Tree. And while that feels uh, not quite the right thing to do this morning, I think it would be good if we stood up and you just found somebody to give them a hug and uh, love on them a little bit. So let's take a minute and greet one another. Where did Jeremy Biedenbaugh go? Jeremy, where are you? When you walked off with your notes, did you take my sermon notes with you? Maybe. <laughs> Not that I'm panicking right now, but it might be a really short service. <laughs> I'm not sure if they're clapping because you almost got away with it or, <laughs> or because I found out. Oh, my. It's good to be together. Um, circumstances are lousy, but it's good to be together. I think there's healing in um, just being around folks at a time like this uh, when there really aren't a whole lot of, of answers for why things happen. I know probably people are gathering all in churches all around Kirkwood this morning with, with a similar question. Why, could, why did this happen? How could this have possibly happen uh, in our community? And, and I, don't, uh, I don't know that I have a whole lot of answers for you this morning specifically about that question. As I thought about it last night, I, I jotted down in my notes, it's called senseless violence for a reason. I mean, I, I think it's difficult to, to make sense of, of something that, that seems beyond uh, even, even remotely normal circumstances. And I finally, last night, I sat down and, uh, and read the paper for the first time, and I hadn't had a chance to, to look at it. And, and if you read Saturday's paper, it was, I don't know, maybe seven or eight stories, just story after story. And as this, uh, you know, the more I learned, the more disturbed uh, I became. It, it was just, um, it, it was just shocking to all of us. And uh, we now have to move beyond the stage of disbelief and try and and, uh, and figure some things out and put some things back together again. And I think that, you know, such uh, events like this uh, bring an emotional and a spiritual upheaval in our lives. When Mike Workheiser was praying in the first service, he said, God, we're reeling. And I think that's, I think that's the right term. I, f I feel like I'm reeling from, from everything uh, that's going on. And, and I think also that the, the question that you come to pretty quickly or the statement that you come to pretty quickly is, you know, this absolutely shouldn't have happened. You know, how, how could this possibly have taken place? And yet we're, we're at a loss for words. Friday morning, I was talking on the phone with a friend. I had gotten to the office and had called him, and we were, we were talking about a couple of things pertaining to, to what had happened Thursday night. And I was on my office phone, but he was on a cell phone, and, uh, and I thought I lost him. You know, it was like that, that stupid commercial, can you hear me now, can you hear me now? And, and, and I, I couldn't hear him, and I couldn't hear his voice coming back. And I said, well, I guess I lost you. And there was, there was a pause. I was about to hang up the phone, and he said, no, I'm still here, <laughs> you know, through a cracked voice. And, and we were, you know, both just, how do you make sense uh, of such a thing? Uh, Thursday night, as I watched the, the story unfold, uh, Jordan and I were actually, uh, Jordan and I, my 16-year-old, and I have, do a Bible study together every Thursday night around dinner time, and that's how I get him to come do the Bible study with me. I give him dinner, uh, and that's a great motivator. And 
We, we normally eat chicken wings, but this week I, I was cleaning out one of my drawers and I found a gift certificate to Citizen Canes that I hadn't used. And so, so Jordan, normally we eat, we eat chicken wings, but tonight we're eating steak. And so we went over to, to um, Citizen Canes. Well, we're leaving Citizen Canes about 10 till 7 and we get in our car, which is maybe a block from City Hall and go home and don't know anything about what's happened and turn on the TV and then all of this begins to unfold. And, and all night long I found myself saying to no one in particular, do you believe this? You know, do you believe this? Well, I can't explain why what's happened has happened, but that doesn't mean that there aren't answers. It doesn't mean that there isn't a place to turn to to gain a perspective and an insight and an understanding that can bring healing uh, to our sorrow and to our brokenness. I'm going to uh, read for you this morning a story out of John's Gospel. It's a true story. It happened in the the pages of of history. Uh, It's an event in the life of Jesus. It's not make-believe. It's not... uh, parable. It's not hyperbole. It's not metaphor, but it's an actual event. I'm not going to put the verses on the screen this morning. It's a pretty long text. It's about 44 verses. Uh, it's in the handout in the, in the green piece, but if you can see the words, your, your eyes are a whole lot better than mine. Those words are pretty small. So I would just invite you to, to sit and to listen. You can follow along in your Bibles if you'd like to, but I'd almost approach it kind of like, you know, kindergarten time in the afternoon where you rolled out your mat and just laid down and the teacher read you a story. You know, if you want to lie on the floor, go right ahead. Um, but just listen to this true event out of the life of Jesus, because I think in this particular passage, uh, maybe more than any other in the New Testament, it speaks to me about promise at a moment like this. So hear the word of God. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews just now were seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw her Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and his spirit was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb It was a cave, and the stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound in the linen strips and his face face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray. Father, in this hour where we have many more questions than we have answers, where we are filled with sorrow for the families of those who died on Thursday evening, as many of us grieve over the loss of friends who were in that room. Father, our hearts are heavy, perhaps heavier than they have been in quite some time. Father, we also are filled with with questions and doubts and misgivings about how such a tragedy could occur. So Lord, we're gathered together here this morning as a people who desire to have faith and long to put our trust in you but also people who are hurting. So Father, this morning, whether we're here and we call ourselves a Christian or a disciple of Jesus, or whether we're here this morning just because we needed to be around others because it felt so bad to be alone, Lord God, I pray that you would take the truth of this passage and help us understand the ultimate answers that you give for our lives. Lord God, I pray that we would hear your truth this morning, your eternal truth that is weighty and healing and powerful. We've been listening for the last couple days on TV or in person to the the words of man and their, their words of encouragement and words of consolation. But Father, we need to hear your voice. Father God, I pray that you would speak by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, 
Today, perhaps more than ever, would you come and would you be our teacher, the great lover of our souls. Pray in your name. Amen. I'm not going to preach out of this text like I, I normally do, and for, uh, for the people who are here every Sunday, they just breathe a huge sigh of relief because the pace at which I preach would take us till about 4 o'clock to get through the text. What I'd rather do is just make some observations as I looked at these words over the last, uh, over the last two days, and as I looked, the, I looked at them in terms of, of our grief, uh, our confusion, perhaps our anger and our, and our frustration over what's happened, because I think there are uh, some key truths in this passage uh, that I believe will be uh, helpful and healing for us if we will open our hearts and our, and our minds to what the Spirit wants uh, to say to us this morning. I'm not even going to, to go in a chronological order. I'm going to kind of bounce around. Uh, so you may be able to, to, to follow along in your Bible or on that handout, but, but maybe more importantly, just let's have a conversation and, and talk a little bit this morning. The first observation I had when I, was, when I was reading this text is that Jesus isn't afraid of the hard questions, nor is he, is he, uh, does he back away from our emotions. If you've ever been uh, in a situation where you're, you're trying to console someone who's grieving, you know that folks kind of tiptoe around people and they're not quite sure uh, what exactly to say or exactly how to say it, and they want to be supportive and they want to be encouraging. Uh, but at a time like that, it gets a little bit uncomfortable and, and, and we're not quite sure exactly how to react. And Jesus comes on the scene, and, and he's confronted by two women who, who love him very much. They, they love him as if he were their own brother. But they also are two women who know who he is, or at least have, a, have, have the outer edges of understanding of who he is. And they both realize that Jesus claims to love them and claims to love their brother, and that Jesus also has the power of healing. They've seen it firsthand, literally, and it's alluded to about the man who he had healed who was blind. And he comes face to face with their very honest and very open and direct questions. The first sister he uh, is confronted with is Martha while he's still outside the village. Martha hears that Jesus is coming to town. He hasn't even quite arrived yet. And she gets up and she goes to meet him. Now, I like Martha. Martha is one of my favorite people in the Bible because Martha doesn't mince words. Martha doesn't mess around. She comes right to the point and she says exactly what she's feeling. And she confronts Jesus on the, on the street as he's coming in into town. And she, she doesn't say hello. She doesn't say, good to see you. She doesn't say, I'm glad you're finally here. She just looks him in the eye and says to the Son of God, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's not really a question. It's really an accusation. It's really perhaps the cry of a broken heart. And perhaps Martha uh, thought about what she had said and wanted to amend it just a little bit. Perhaps she thought maybe she'd overstepped her bounds uh, or maybe she's trying to find some faith within her heart. She goes on to say, but, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I, I'm not quite sure why Martha added that. But be that as it may, when you hear Martha's words, you hear a heart that is broken. You hear a heart that is, that is deeply disappointed that the Lord would not come to the aid and to the rescue of his dear friend Lazarus. Now Martha doesn't know the whole story and she doesn't, have, she doesn't have the big picture, just like you and I don't have the whole story and the big picture this morning, but she's at least honest enough to share her heart. Mary does the same. She's at home uh, crying and Martha comes back and says, the Lord is asking for you. And Mary again 
uh, comes to find the Lord just as Martha did. And, and the only difference in the text, it says that Mary literally falls at Jesus' feet. You, you see a woman who must be just completely overwhelmed with sorrow and with grief, and she says the exact same words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What I noticed in the in this story is that Jesus doesn't back down. He doesn't chide. He doesn't say to Martha, Martha, you better change your tone of voice. Don't you know the one to whom you're speaking? Don't you know that I'm God in the flesh? Don't you, don't you know that the way that you're talking to me, the tone that you're using isn't appropriate with me? Jesus doesn't say, Martha, how dare you ask that question? Why don't you just stand back and watch me do what I do? I'm the Savior, don't you know? Jesus doesn't have that reaction at all. He doesn't chide. He doesn't rebuke, but he shows patience. He shows kindness. He shows compassion. And I think as we gather together this morning, probably some of us have some of that same frustration and anger in our hearts. We lost some dear friends this week, and it certainly doesn't seem right to me that all of this would happen. And although I can't presume to know the word of God, I spent Thursday evening looking at my TV saying, do you believe this, God? How could this possibly happen? This just doesn't seem possible. Because it's not very far from, from how can you believe this to if God is real, how could he let that happen? And I think that's what Martha and Mary were saying. Jesus, are you really the son of God? And if you are, how could you have let this happen? But Jesus is patient with those who are hurting, and I believe he's patient with us this morning. Because my second observation of this text is that Jesus grieves with us. If you want to start a Bible memory program and you've been, you've been putting it off and you've been delaying it, I'm going to give you your chance to start a Bible memory program this morning with the shortest verse in the Bible, two words, Jesus wept, John 11:35. 35. Now you're off and running on your Bible memory program. But the word that's used there for Jesus uh, crying was, is not a word that says, you know, tears came to his eyes. Uh, I get a little, little broken up every once in a while when I'm preaching. People who are around here are often, you know, sadly are aware of that. But this is not that word. It's a word for sobbing. It's a word that means Jesus put his head down. Maybe he put his head in his hands, and he was weeping at the grave of his friend Lazarus. It said just a couple of verses before that, that Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Uh, that language would speak of, of Jesus literally trembling, his body literally having a physical reaction to the sorrow that he was feeling at that moment. Now, you need to understand that Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. That wasn't lost on him. He wasn't going, gee, I wonder if this is going to work out later on. Maybe I'll, I'll try and do something. He was God in the flesh. He knew exactly what he was going to do, but he came face to face with death and all of the evil that goes with it. And he was physically overcome to the point of weeping. I believe that Jesus, in a very real sense, weeps with us this morning. I often ask people this question, does your heart break over the things that break the heart of God. But I think I have a confession to make. I think I asked that question way too flippantly. I don't think I stopped to really think about it. In a moment like this, when it's staring you right in the face and you can't help but think about it, I believe it's true. I believe that God's emotion, that Jesus's emotion, his humanity, just as his divinity is very real. And just as he wept, the tomb of Lazarus, I believe that Jesus understands and grieves with hurting people. 
My third observation, I have six observations, by the way. My third observation is this, that Jesus is keenly interested in God's glory. This story starts out by Lazarus being sick and Jesus saying when he hears this, he's talking to his disciples, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, again, Jesus, Jesus knew what was going to happen. He understood the situation. He knew that he would, by the time he got to Bethany, Lazarus would have been dead for four days. It seems to me an odd time to be preoccupied with the glory of God. Shouldn't he have rather been preoccupied with getting to Bethany so he could care for those around him? Shouldn't he have been preoccupied with the compassion of God or the grace of God or the forgiveness of God? Why is it he was concerned with the glory of God? It seems somewhat out of place. I was watching TV Thursday night, like probably most of you were, and watching these events unfold. And, and uh, my little league hockey team that I, that I coach, my little youth team, my 11 and 12-year-olds, had a practice scheduled for that night at the Kirkwood Rink at about 9.30. And my team manager called, and she said, you know, I'm watching TV, and maybe we ought to call off practice. We don't even know if the rink's going to be open. They're talking about, you know, shutting down the city buildings, and, you know, we don't want to get parents and kids out. And I wholeheartedly agree with her. And I said, yeah, we, we need to. We need to get that done. I said, let's divide up the list and call. She said, no, I'm, I'll call them all. You don't worry about it. So I hang up the phone, and she's on the phone calling. And about 10 minutes after that, I get a call from, from one of the assistant coaches on the team. His name's Dean. And Dean says, hey, hey Tom, uh, just want to let you know that I'm not coming to practice tonight. He said, uh, you know, Ryan, his son, Ryan plays with him. I'll get Ryan there, but I've got an early morning meeting tomorrow morning. I'm just tired. I'm beat. I just, I, I just really can't make it to practice tonight. I hope that's okay with you. I said, Dean? Do you have your TV on? He goes, no, I have, I've been doing some work on the computer all night. I, haven't, I don't have my TV on. Why? So turn on your TV. There's been a terrible shooting at Kirkwood. His comments were so far from left field that they almost, you know, they almost couldn't register with me. And once he got the context right, his whole demeanor changed. He stayed on the phone for a few seconds as he turned on the TV, and then it was just, oh, oh, my goodness. And I look at this passage, and I say, Jesus, it seems like your demeanor is somewhat misplaced given the circumstances. But then I realized that Jesus sees the deeper truth. That Jesus is keenly interested in God's glory because he knows that when God holds a place of honor in my heart, that it's going to have a direct impact not only on my faith in him, but it's going to have a direct impact on the human relationships of the people around me. If I honor God, I can't help but love you better. If I long for and desire for God's glory to be manifested in my life, that isn't going to come out of somebody being religious and judgmental and arrogant. It's going to come out in humility and compassion and kindness. And so when Jesus says God needs to be glorified in this situation, he understood that when that happened, a lot of other things would fall into place. As the pastors were walking over Friday night, from we met at our office and, and walked over to uh, the, the prayer vigil, I was talking to the pastor who is at Harrison Road Church, and um, we were talking about, you know, the community getting together and talking about these issues and working through some of those issues. And he said an interesting thing to me. He said, you know, I'm not against getting together and having conversations. I think that's a good idea. But he said, you know what needs to happen? Kirkwood needs disciples of Jesus who will revere God seven days a week, who will live out the gospel. That's a true word. And I believe that Jesus' interest in God's glory was because he's interested in seeing there being a healing in our human relationships as we honor God. My fourth observation is that Jesus' raising of Lazarus really isn't the high point of this story. 
In fact, I think it's, it's not what gives us hope in this story. And, and I would go so far as to say, I think it's the low point of the story for Lazarus. Think about this for, with me for just a minute. Lazarus has been deathly ill. It doesn't say what disease he had or what sickness, whether he had a heart attack or stroke. We don't know. But Lazarus is on his deathbed. And at some point in that experience, he breathes a deep sigh. He closes his eyes and he wakes up in heaven. And he's been in heaven for four days. I don't know what he's been doing for four days. He's probably been going around trying to meet David, trying to get an appointment, you know, with Abraham. He's been just, you know, blown away by the whole experience. And four days is just a breath step into eternity when somebody taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, Lazarus, we need you to go back and do us a favor. I think if I was Lazarus, I would have said, here am I, Lord, send Moses. You know, God, I've only been dead four days. If I walk out of the tomb, it's going to be big. But if Moses walks out of the tomb, it's going to be really... Moses, come here. They got something for you to do. If I was Lazarus, I wouldn't want to go back. I don't believe, as amazing as that was, that's the high point of the story. But I believe, rather, my fifth observation is this. The raising of Lazarus validated Jesus' chief claim, that he was... Messiah. Do you remember what he says to Martha in his compassion and in his kindness? He says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will in the resurrection at the last day. And you know what? That was a good answer. Martha gave a great answer. If she was in Sunday school class, the teacher would have said, absolutely, Martha, you're, you're so right. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus made an amazing claim. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is making a wildly radical claim. He's claiming that that what's more important than the physical resurrection of Lazarus is rather that every man and every woman put their faith in him in order that they might experience an an eternal resurrection that comes only through Jesus Christ. Which... Leads me to my sixth and final observation. The raising of Lazarus, it dawned on me, authorized Jesus to to demand that we have faith in him, even in the face of death. Jesus is not just here this morning, friends, to comfort us, although he is certainly here to do that. His Holy Spirit is in this room, and it's living through the word of God, and it speaks solace to broken hearts, and it speaks comfort to those who are hurting and are mourning, but it does more than that. Jesus is here this morning to demand of you and demand of me that even in the face of this tragedy, we have faith in him. Six times he raises this question of faith in this text. This word is used, this word believe is used six times in 44 verses. He says to his disciples before they leave to go to be with Lazarus, Lazarus has died and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. He says to Martha, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he looks Martha in the eye and he says, Martha, do you believe this? He says later on in the text, when, Mary, when Martha says, we can't, open the, can't roll the rock away because there'll be a bad smell. Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see 
the glory of God. And then when Jesus prays to his father and thanks him that he's heard his prayer to bring Lazarus back, he says it this way, I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus knows that the most important thing to happen here this morning is for us to place our faith in him, even in our brokenness, even in our sorrow, even in our pain and our suffering, for us to turn our eyes to Christ because he knows that the same power that raised Lazarus from the dead would also give you and me eternal salvation. He sees the bigger picture. Again, when we were headed over to the... the uh, prayer vigil on uh, Friday night, I was partnered. We did a scripture reading and a prayer, and I was partnered with the pastor at First Press. He was doing the, Dave was doing the scripture reading, and I was doing the prayer, and uh, Ken Yost goes to his church, and he was talking to me about Ken Yost. And I know Ken, you know, Ken inspected our house, and we built our house in Kirkwood. I know Ken in passing to say hello to him, but I, I, I would consider him an acquaintance and not a friend, but, but, but Dave knows him pretty well in the last year that Dave's been here in, at uh, First Press, and he just was talking about Ken's faith. He was talking about how it just was living and active in his life and how it transformed the way he treated people. And it, and it just was kind of everything about him and how he, he was very active in serving in his, in his community of faith and that spiritual family. So that's what it's all about. Here we are walking across the street to grieve the loss of these people in this tragedy. And yet even in that moment, we can see the light of the gospel. And we can hear the demand of Jesus saying, if you will just believe, if you will just put your faith in me, then even in the midst of human tragedy, even in the midst of this broken and sinful world, you can have an assurance that this is not all there is. And that there will be a kingdom that will be established where all pain and suffering and brokenness is gone. Jesus also knew that that same power that rose, raised Lazarus from the dead would indwell each one of his disciples, and by that indwelling, we would impact our world. I've been talking to a lot of people the last few days, civic leaders and private citizens alike, and I'm convinced that Kirkwoods could certainly use better communication between our residents. I'm convinced that there needs to be more respect uh, in our town for everyone, regardless of whether they're rich or poor, regardless of what their color of their skin may be. I'm confident that this dialogue between leaders and community folks will help. I'm going to be speaking with folks of the Chamber of Commerce on Tuesday, and I'm looking forward to that opportunity to hear what business leaders in our community have to say and to share some of my own thoughts. But ultimately, friends, the answer to this tragedy is that Kirkwood needs the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to be alive and active through his disciples. This community needs Christians more than ever, not to be silent on the sideline, but to step forward and to live boldly in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and to bear witness for him. We made these little red and white uh, ribbons this morning. I'm glad most of you took one. If you didn't get one on the way in, grab one on the way out. Uh, we want to celebrate being in Kirkwood. Red and white, those are our school colors, and we're proud of them. We're proud of being pioneers. But they're also red and white because of the red blood of Jesus that makes us whiter than snow. And the power of the resurrection that can transform hearts and lives. If you're new to Green Tree or visiting this morning, you may not know it, but part of our mission statement says that we want to uh, make disciples and plant churches and renew communities. If there was ever a time that a community needed renewal, it's certainly right here 
and right now. May we be the renewing force in this community for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for our, our good, and for the good of all of our neighbors. Let's pray.